This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness, Episode 101. This episode of Life-Changing Wellness is brought to you by Wakanaga of America, the makers of Kyolic aged garlic extract quality supplements that are backed by science for heart health, immune support, and more. I have personally taken their fine products for more than 25 years, and you should too. So check them out at kyolic.com or find them at your favorite natural health store. Well, now, before we begin, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today. Rate and review the show for me, and I thank you ahead of time for making our show great. And I encourage you to look up my show page on radiomd.com slash drbond. Well, my guest today is Dr. Kara Natterson, a pediatrician and New York Times bestselling author of multiple parenting and health books, including The Care and Keeping of You, a three-book series with more than six million copies in print. A graduate of Harvard College and John Hopkins Medical School, Dr. Natterson trained in pediatrics at the University of California and San Francisco, and she founded Worry Proof Consulting, a first-of-its-kind practice offering parents open-ended time. She also provides medical expertise for numerous parenting websites and serves on several boards, including Starlight Children's Foundation, Mattel's Barbie Council, The Honest Company Medical Advisors, and Zimcar. Her newest book, Decoding Boys, New Science Behind the Subtle Art of Raising Sons, was just released this past February in 2020, and we're here today to discuss puberty and more understanding about raising boys. And welcome to the show, Dr. Natterson. Thanks so much. Well, I'm really interested in this subject because I have one son and I have one daughter. Uh, they're both now in their mid-20s, but I'm hoping that uh, maybe I'm going to learn learn quite a bit from you today to pass on to other people but uh, I'm really interested in this because, you know, my first question to you is what are some of the differences in how we handle puberty for girls versus how we handle it for boys? You know, I think the simplest answer to that is that we talk about it with our girls, right? And mm-hmm. um, it, that's not to say that some parents don't talk about it with their boys because there are lots of parents who do, but the world in general is really quite good these days at talking to girls about what is happening to their bodies, empowering them to feel positively about their bodies and the changes, and giving them lots of language around these different milestones, whether it's getting breasts or having periods or consent issues. So I think the biggest difference is that we as a society don't talk to our boys in quite the same way. We we don't point out all the shifts of puberty, partly because we don't see many of them, and we haven't reached that point of absolute comfort where we can speak so openly with our boys that they have begun speaking very openly right back. So why is it difficult for parents um, that, well, like myself, okay, my, mine are in their mid-20s, so they're, they're, they already know the whole talk. Um, but for those parents that are listening right now and they have, they have daughters, they have sons, maybe they're, you know, uh, elementary age, maybe they're middle school age, and, you know, in, in the world today, especially with social media, 
you know, girls view social media differently than than boys do. And doesn't that play a big role now in for parents to really sit down with their kids to explain some of the changes that are going uh, through their bodies now? And at the same time with boys, um, sometimes I think that we're lighter on conversation with the boys than we are with the girls. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Listen, we have books lots and lots of books directed at girls and what's happening with their bodies and how they might feel about it. And girl parents are taught how to identify concerns and worries about body image. And, you know, all of it is very, very, very uh, proactive in the girl world. But, um, and social media, as you mentioned, there there's not only a, a large um, sort of use by girls. Um, boys use social media to a great extent as well. But what girls talk about sometimes on social media is very open. Girls will talk about body changes. They will talk about puberty or periods in a way that we absolutely don't see with our boys. So the content isn't there and the general conversation really isn't there. And so if the world around them, whether it's their family or their friends in school or their world on social media is not normalizing the conversations for boys the way it is for girls, then it's silly for us to expect that our boys are gonna naturally talk about all this stuff. And then there's this added layer, and you have raised a son, so you may have experienced this, mm-hmm. where the vast majority of boys go through a period where they get quite quiet. And yes. some of them get completely silent. I mean, really every answer is a single syllable or they have, uh, you know, they retreat to their room and they shut their door and they don't want to emerge back out or you ask them a question and they just grunt at you. Other <laughs> yeah. boys, it's right. Did you go through oh, that? Oh yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is other boys are chatty and they're very open with their parents. But when parents really kind of look at it critically, they go, well, he's a little less chatty than he was before. Right, so something happens to the volume for boys during puberty, and we don't really understand it. I think it's got to be hormonal, but there are no studies that are looking at if, is testosterone making boys quiet. Um, but that being said, it's it's a pretty universal experience. So now let's put those two things together. You've got a world where all the content is girl directed, and all the comfort is around girl issues, not around boy issues, and You've got a developmental stage where boys get quiet. And so those two things together, it's a really steep climb to expect our boys to just start chatting openly about the changes that they're seeing in their body or their emotional shifts. Yeah. Well, do you find that uh, when you're talking to boys that it's the the embarrassment level is so much higher than it is sitting down with a girl? Because let's say a mother sits down with a daughter and and explain, explaining, oh, you know, it's time to, you know, to go shop for a training bra or uh, maybe, uh, you know, the first uh, period hit and have to, to go and explain the use of tampons and, and what's going on with the body there. And then with boys, it's just like, they, you know, they just grow up and, you know, we don't really, sometimes we don't really set them down and, and talk about some of the changes that are going through their body, you know, 
you know, you know, why do you have an erection halfway through the night when you're sleeping or, or wet dreams and things of that sort? And those things are just kind of, let's say, uh, still swept under the carpet, so to speak. Yeah. So I think you're, you're a hundred percent right on. I mean, it's funny when you list the things that we talk about with girls that many girls are not embarrassed by a generation ago, those were very embarrassing topics, right? So, um, you know, when I was growing up, talking about your period was not normal. It was, you know, it was something yeah. you did very quietly um, and with with a lot of, um, you know, uh, you were pretty reserved about it um, unless you came from a family that was wired to talk about it. And that's, I think, really important for us to acknowledge, which is that uh, family and interpersonal dynamics drive a lot of this. So each child is different. Each parent is different. And it's the intersection of a parent's and a child's personalities and communication styles and circumstances. Is there a lot of alone time in the house or are there a bunch of kids around at all times and is it pretty chaotic? Um, Then there are stressors that might be involved. All these things drive what parents and kids talk about and how comfortable they are. But you are right that we do not talk to our boys about these topics the way we talk to our girls. And I will say that I think one of the primary reasons why that's the case is that for the first couple of years of puberty, there are actually no visible signs that are obvious to the casual observer that a boy is in puberty. What do I mean by that? Well, the first sign that a boy is in puberty is actually testicular growth. And that's because the testicles are where testosterone is made in the body. And so if you have, if your body is demanding more testosterone in order to start to develop and change, you first have to grow the machinery. You have to increase the testicle size. And it can take a couple of years between when the testicles begin to grow and you see any of those signs of puberty that might cue you in as a parent that your son is in it. Those signs are things like voice changes or the beginning of um, muscular development where you see boys' shoulders broaden and they really start having more lean muscle mass. Um, So these are things that are signs that the testosterone has been around for a long time. Some parents think their sons are in puberty when they break out and have acne or when they start growing hair under their arms. But actually, those are not sort of a crazy fact. Those are not signs of puberty per se. They go along with puberty, but they're not caused by testosterone. They're caused by hormones that come from the adrenal glands that are on top of the kidneys. And so they can be red herrings. They can make parents think a child's in puberty when he's not. Whereas the real puberty, which is all testosterone driven, can be pretty silent for a couple of years. And if you compare that to girls whose changes are really quite obvious, that's another reason why as a society, we speak differently to our girls and to our boys. Yeah, it's, um, you know, in my day, and of course, I think it has to do with, um, I think it's a generational thing. So for us, it was like, once you heard the voice crack, you knew. And, um, but you know, I think too, you bring up a point where let's, let's say, depending on how the parents were raised, that's how they're going to deliver the same talk. If they deliver the talk at all, because now, you know, every school has, sex education classes or they may separate the boys from the girls for about a couple of days so they can 
explain it to them in class. And for a lot of those kids, that's going to be their first talk before the parents ever get to do it. And, um, you know, now it's, I've, I've heard where some parents go to their kids and their kids go, uh, no, no, you don't have to explain it to me where we already learned it in school and they just brush the parents off. And, and I see well, that's getting a little bit more common. That is one of the many reasons why I wrote this book. I think parents deserve to know when schools start to teach kids about body changes. And the reason they deserve to know is that sometimes parents want to do the teaching first. And schools are often very good about communicating it to the parents, but sometimes they're not. And parents can be surprised by how early this teaching happens. But the reality is that the vast majority of kids who are in grade school have cell phones or other mobile devices that they consider theirs. In fact, the average age right now, the average age for the first cell phone for a child is 10 in this country, which means 50% or more of all 10-year-olds have a cell phone that they consider theirs and their parents consider theirs. And these aren't flip phones, mind you. These are handheld computers with internet browsers. And so you begin to think about what your kids have access to on those computers, really. And schools have recognized they better start teaching some of these topics in advance of kids getting access to all of the information on their own. Because if I've got a 10 or an 11 or a 12-year-old who can access, for instance, online pornography, right? Mm -hmm. Or frankly, kids who the pornographers are actually targeting. Yeah, they can go on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Well, you could, I mean, you know, a seven-year-old boy can go on Instagram and, you know, look up a million girls in bikinis and it, it just right. leads from one thing to another. And and I agree with you. Parents need to be able to have that talk with their kids before the school does. But see, I think the school talk is different than the parent talk because the school talk is going to be, and correct me if I'm wrong because you're the pediatrician here, they're going to be talking about the physical side of it all. The parents will explain the physical But with parents, we also have the opportunity and we take the opportunity to talk about what no means no. And we we kind of throw the whole safety side in on sex. You know, my dad was, he always kind of used humor in a particular way to, to get the point across. And he, you know, you know, in my day, we didn't call it STDs, we call it VD. And he would say, you know what has 200 teeth and protects you against VD? And I go, I don't know what. He says, your zipper, which means you keep it in the up position. That's that's how he got his point across. And um, and I think we don't have that kind of talk yeah. in, in, in our world today where parents need to say, boys, you know, you know, if, if you don't if you don't want to have uh, trouble for the next 18 years, you keep that zipper up when you're in school. You know, I think that the safety and consent pieces of all of this have really shifted over time. I think it is happening more and more at the school level because consent is a huge, huge issue for teenagers and especially for college-age kids. Mm -hmm. And so schools feel that it is really critical that kids learn these skills and the, the ability to have this conversation. 
I think for me, the difference between what happens at school and what happens at home, the way I would hope it would break out mm-hmm. is that, as you said, the school information is is information. It's objective, science-based, data-backed information. Right. The home conversation is a values-based conversation. Parents have every right to share their beliefs and their value systems with their kids. I want parents to do that constantly. And there is nothing bad or negative about having either the educational conversation or the values-based conversation earlier than you might think your kids need it. You just have to read your child and figure out how much he or she is able to internalize. But I hope if parents are kind of going, ah, I don't, I don't want to have to cover all of this myself. And by the way, parents, mm-hmm. um, the, the bad news is, or the good news, you do have to cover all of this yourself. But it's okay because it happens over many years and many conversations, okay? But um, if, if parents are looking for what do I have to go for first, start asking your school what they teach because my guess is parents will start to understand that it is their primary job to help explain to their kids why they believe certain things about how their kids behave or interact. And it is the school's job to teach kids the consequences of those behaviors. Uh Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Well, let me ask you this. What are the three, because in your book, what are the three key things parents of a boy going through puberty can do right now to better help him through these changes? So all of these things uh, tether back to the common answer of communication. Your job as a parent is to have conversations with your kids, boys and girls. So the first thing you want to do when you start engaging in conversation with your kids is to identify what puberty is, what it looks like, and what it feels like. And there's a lot of information about that in the book. There are a lot of great resources in the world that start talking about exactly what it means to be in puberty if you're a boy. The second thing you want to do is you want to normalize the fact that puberty does not happen at any one time or in any one order which is really, really hard for most kids to manage because the ones who develop really early don't like being the first. The ones who are last don't like being the last. And frankly, it's not always so easy to be in the middle either. Some kids grow first. Some kids end up having lots of hair first. Some kids end up having skin issues first. Some kids end up having, you know, you can kind of go down the puberty list and nothing comes in any particular order. And so the the unpredictability of it is completely normal, and that's a big conversation. The third thing, after you identify what puberty is and after you normalize how different puberty can be, you want to educate your son with really good resources because maybe he'll come to you and ask you follow-up questions, I hope, but you also want to point to resources that he can go to to get more information for himself. So let him begin to understand, you know, testosterone. It's a powerful drug. It's going to transform his entire body and it's going to change the way he responds emotionally. He needs to understand the power of that hormone so that he can not only take better care of his body, but so he can modulate his moods a little bit. That education is key for our boys and, frankly, for our girls. You know, that is excellent information because I know that, uh, you know, we always wonder, 
if our kids even read anymore. But I think by giving them information or like you said, give them resources, I believe that they will read those things uh, even, you know, in private to understand, because in a way, by allowing them to do that, you're taking away the embarrassment uh, talk that they may want to uh, withdraw from. And like you said, they may may go in their room and, and be silent. But by giving them resources, I believe that they would read more about those things. And that kind of leads me into my next question, because, you know, we live in a society today where body image is, you know, a an extremely hot topic and even in the adult world. But isn't it just girls and women? It's not just girls and women that have those issues, but how are they different for tweens and teen boys? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to answer that, but I want to just tether back to one thing you mm-hmm. just said because it's so important. I've been a pediatrician for a really long time, and I'm raising my own teenagers at home. I have never met a kid who doesn't want more good information. So lest we think our kids don't want to read or don't want to educate themselves, we are kidding ourselves. They are hungry for it, right? And you know that and I know that, but every parent out there needs to know that. So body image is a huge issue, Ward, and I'm so glad you asked about it. Um, You know, we have done a fabulous job over the past couple of decades identifying girl body image issues. We have, as a society, we have taken on the uh, issue around body dysmorphia, which is you look at yourself in a mirror and what you see is not what really exists. And we have really normalized conversation around that. We have looked at the female archetypes for perfect body. And as a society, we have agreed these are ridiculous. This perfect one figure is ridiculous. And we have really shifted the norm. We're not perfect yet, but we're shifting the norm so that multiple female body types are considered beautiful. You know, there's been a lot of transformation about body image in the female population, and there's a ways to go. But we're having those conversations in the home, in the school, and in society in general. We are not having those conversations with our boys. And over the years, as I have spoken to boys, particularly when I teach in classrooms, what has become clearer and clearer to me is that boys feel not just the same pressure that girls feel, but maybe even more because it's undiscussed. There is not a wide range of body image or of body types that are considered beautiful for men. There's one. And if you ask boys to start telling you what that body looks like, they will stop, start at the top of the head and they will work their way down the entire body and they can list for you very, very clearly what the male ideal body is. And then wow. if you start to look at the data, what boys will do to achieve the ideal male body can be really, really scary, frankly. The number of them who are willing to engage in behaviors or to take supplements that are not tested or drugs like anabolic steroids in order to reach the ideal, it's really, really mind-blowing. So talking about male body image is critical. When I teach in the classroom, what I do is I start by talking about female body image. And there's always a girl who takes over the class because the girls are very chatty and they've been steeped in this for a long time. And I let the girls go for a little while and they talk to the boys about how, you know, they're 
the female body ideal. And then I, I always ask the question, well, what about boys and what about the male body ideal? And I will tell you the girls are somewhat dumbfounded by the answer because they have often never thought that this is a boy problem. And so if you only have daughters, talk to your daughters about the male body ideal. If you have both daughters and sons, talk to both of them about the male body ideal. It's, it's as important for, for females to appreciate the pressure on males as it is for males to appreciate the pressures on females. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we have, you know, today, and I think with boys and girls, I think it's the similarities are that we can look at if somebody if somebody has in a particular mindset that, oh, wow, they have the perfect body image. They're, uh, they're more popular. Um, you know, maybe they're, they come from a more successful family just by the way they look, you know, because we still live in a world where we judge a book by its cover and hopefully one of, one of these days that we can get past the cover and be able to see on the inside. And right. with with girls and boys, you know, you, you know, we all grew up in school where there were kids that were that were overweight and, you know, as kids, you know, I think we have the mindset of we kind of looked down on them or or maybe treated them as less than and and did not treat them as as equal. And that's the reason why, you know, hey, my gosh, we could talk about body image for hours. There's just yep. so, and ho- hopefully you'll ha- that'll be your next book <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> because it, we, we do need that, uh, that topic just really needs to be hit hard and it, and it can go so deep. But um, I want to ask you something too, because not only is body image a hot topic, but so is today's technology when it comes to kids and especially teenagers. I know that boys are more likely to be addicted to things like video games or screen time. Um, but with your research, why is that? And do you have any tips to help uh, parents break that addiction circuit with teenagers? So you're asking me this question in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> when, right, yeah. when kids have been locked at home <laughs> with their parents and their devices. That's right. And so that, you just asked me a question that has become so magnified in the moment. Um, but it's a wonderful question. And the reason it's a wonderful question is that it helps us to begin the conversation amongst ourselves as parents and then hopefully inside our home with our kids about what does it mean to be addicted to a screen and what are what are the trade-offs if you're on a screen all the time what aren't you doing and what does an addictive behavior do to the quality of the rest of your life or how does it make you feel physically if you feel addicted to something, and then you're unable to stop. Lots of questions related to the general concept of addiction. And with boys, we often talk about it in the context of video games, but really the bigger concept of addiction, it's all the same. Uh, When it comes to screens, I challenge any parent who's listening to tell me that their kids are more Uh, in need of their screens and devices than the parents are, right? Because what we know is that we parents 
are as dependent upon our screens and devices as our kids. We call it work. We say it's a requirement or a necessity, but you know, especially in this day and age when everything's happening on Zoom and on a screen, our use patterns and our kids' use patterns are not all that different. What's different is where we're going. They might be on social media observing other people's lives. We may be doing something that we call work, but both of us are engaging with a screen instead of the world. I will say I don't think screens are all bad. And I think if we've learned anything from this pandemic, what we've learned is that technology can bring us together, right? I don't know about you, but I've had more reunions with people that I have not seen in real life, thanks to Zoom, in the last (laughs) six or eight weeks than I can remember, right? Friends from college, all of it. It's incredible. There is a wonderful connectivity because of technology. So it's not all bad. Well, no, not at all. And and I completely agree because even for me, it was so funny because uh, if it wasn't for the pandemic, um, there were things that with my television show that uh, I would have never even thought of. And I've already done like 30 television interviews by Skype and, and which opened up a whole new world. And it was funny, you know, before we, uh, came on and uh, did this interview, you know, the blue angels flew over our home and we're standing outside and finally meeting our neighbors, you know, because, you know, we, we our, our neighborhood is really, it, it's large by land mass, but not by the number of homes because property is pretty big. And so you're walking down to the stop sign to get a better view of the of the Blue Angels coming by, and then you're finally getting the to meet your neighbors that you didn't meet two years ago, and it's yep. you, there's this That's really right. cool uh, vibe going on, I think, in America. And you're right, technology has, in a way, we've criticized criticized it for so long, but now it's really brought us together in ways we never really thought about before. And like you said, everybody's doing Skype, they're doing Zoom. And, you know, you're either touching base with people you went to high school or college with, or finally talking to uh, some relatives that you haven't talked to in a decade. That's right. Now, that being said, someone listening to this show has a teenager who won't get off his video games. Right. (laughs) That's right. And that's tricky. And so... You know, I talk a lot about that in the book, and I talk about, you know, that that switch that feels like it flips. Maybe it's at, for my son, it's at 45 minutes. He's on a game for 45 minutes, and it's like, I can't get him to get off. But 44 minutes, he seems fine, you know? And he's very affable, and he, he says, sure, mom, and he turns it off. But something happens where he's so immersed in the game, and it feels chemical to me. It is chemical. It is. It is, it chemical. is chemical. It is. Well, so, my my son was always big in into uh, racing games. So you you have a game in which you have a person where it's completely solo. It's not even a team activity. And, that's right. And you know, and I always gave. I'd always do a lecture um, and explain to people that if you watch car racing, and this is this happens in, in video games. And let's say you have two drivers and they wreck and they hit each other and they get out in there and they're they're so angry. I said, you have to understand something. Their dopamine levels were so high. And then all of a sudden somebody put the brake on it and they don't know where that energy, they have to point that energy in a direction. It's usually at each other because of, of an accident. Well, I found the same thing happening with certain video games in which 
the person playing or if my son was playing by himself and he's playing a game in which he is the solo athlete. So if he was doing a racing game and you tell them to stop, you just got a, a dirty look back. That's and because right. the dopamine, the do, yeah, the dopamine levels are so high, it's almost like you're tell, telling somebody to basically just turn it off, and it does not happen that way. That's right. But I do think, again, to this common theme of conversation, parents can and should have conversations with their kids about why they want to put certain limits in place. So let's say you have a child who really cannot get off video games and it's a struggle and it's a fight and at every turn it's you know it's going nowhere and it's very negative for you as a parent in the moments when he's not on the video game in the moments of positivity have a conversation hey do you know why I would really like you to limit your time on video games and talk about it and let him into your thinking about why you're trying to set the limit. You're not apologizing for the limit. What you're doing is you're helping for, to explain to him what you think he's missing in life or how you see him behaving when he's on those games. And frankly, he may explain to you how it feels to be connected with his friends through gaming or whatever it is that is, whatever void is being filled for him. And you can have a really productive conversation that will move the needle for you as a parent without just arbitrarily laying down a rule and then getting into an argument when he doesn't comply. Right, right. And that's what I did with mine because I, my PhD was in brain nutrition. I knew what to explain to him and he went, Oh, and Dr. Natterson, I can tell you one thing. I can talk to you for a whole nother hour on this subject, and you have just given all of my listeners a wealth of knowledge. And ladies and gentlemen, I if you have sons and grandparents, if you have grandsons, maybe you're raising those grandsons by the book, Decoding Boys, New Science Behind the Subtle Art of Raising Sons. It's available in print. It's also available as a an ebook. Uh, Dr. Natterson, I'm sure that we can all download your book into, into a Kindle. You can, and you can hear my voice reading it. Hey, fantastic. <laughs> oh, audiobooks too. Hey, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's no reason why you can't raise uh, sons uh, the right way. And this is definitely the book you need to have. Dr. Natterson, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and just, again, blessing us with a wealth of knowledge. I've got to have you back because, again, I could literally talk to you for another hour. Um, but uh, many blessings to you. And I know that the I'm, I'm believing that the pandemic is coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all Let's get hope. back to our normal life and uh, you Fingers can get crossed. back out there and start just uh, teaching the rest of us about uh, uh, the pediatrics and all the, all the knowledge that you have. And ladies and gentlemen, again, check out Decoding Boys, New Science Behind the Subtle Art of Raising Sons. And also, Dr. Nadison, what is your website so people can check you out? Oh, it is called worryproofmd.com. Ooh, worryproofmd.com. What a perfect name. I love that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, remember to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at radiomd.com slash Dr. Bond. If I can ask you a favor, please take the 30 seconds, rate the show on iTunes. Thank you for doing that for me as we went to bring you the best show possible. And we are available on all streaming services. Just look up Dr. Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. You can learn more about me at drwardbond.com. And again, thank you for listening to the show. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.